I'm asking you to turn to the book of James, and uh, I, I want to challenge you out of something here the Lord's been stirring my heart about here this summer. Uh, James is a book uh, really about obedience and revival and calling God's people back to walking with him, letting the word of God uh, show us our need, not just talking about uh, what the word of God says, but actually doing what the word of God expects. God doesn't just want to say that we believe him. God wants us to act in faith um, in accordance to what he promises in his word. And yet when we want to live a life of obedience to God, when we want to live a life of dependence upon his power to do what God wants us to do, often I found we can find ourselves at conflict. And in James chapter 4, he addresses the conflict that we so often find. And that conflict has a variety of different angles about it. And so what I want to do is I want to begin reading in James chapter 4 and verse number 1. And here we find the word of God says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Why is it that we constantly find ourselves at conflict with one another? Why is it that we find ourselves at conflict with our roommates in the dorm? Why is it that we find ourselves at conflict with our siblings when we're at home? Why is it that so often does conflict rear its ugly head in the workplace, in our fellowship? Why is it that conflict can so often sour our relationships that ought to be sweet? Well, he tells us why. He says, come they not hence, even of your, what's the next word? Oh, we got to try that again. Look at your Bible when I'm reading, all right? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your, what? Lusts that war in your members. Really, I would like to say that the theme of this section has to do with that word lusts. And I think most of us, when we typically think about the word lust, we think of uh, desires in the sense of immoral desires. We think of lustful thoughts. We think of lustful deeds and actions. But when the Bible uses the word for lust, I think it's really important to recognize that it's simply talking about strong desires that are inside of us. Every single one of us here in this room have strong desires. There are a number of things that we want to get out of life. There are a number of things that we want to get in our dorm room, things that we, ways that we want things to be. Many of us, there are things that we want to accomplish to obtain when it comes to uh, our workplace or our fellowship. And we all come into the various circumstances of life, if I can put it this way, with an agenda. You know, some of you have a strong desire to be married. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Some of you have a strong desire for your ministry to make a difference in your, in, in your life. Some of you have a strong desire uh, to be well-known or well-liked. Some of you have a strong desire to get the largest piece of pie sitting in the window in Fellowship Hall C. Some of you have a strong desire for peace and quiet in your dorm room. Some of you have strong desires for that person in your dorm room to stop biting their fingernails and flicking them on the floor. You know what I'm talking about. We all, uh-oh. <laughs> we have strong desires about a lot of different things. Some of us want certain vehicles when we go out recruiting, right? Those are strong desires. Some of us want, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Some of us want a certain position in line. Some of us want a certain grade. 
Some of us want certain friendships with certain people. Some of us want to be known in a particular way, to be perceived in a particular way. And when people get in the way of those strong desires, it causes conflict. Again, we get back to the root of the problem. The problem isn't the other people, the strong. The problem oftentimes is the strong desires that are in our heart. He continues talking about these. In verse 2, he says, ye lust, in other words, you want and have not. So often, our strong desires are foiled. So often, the things that we want to get out of life, the things that we want in our dorm room, those strong desires do not end up materializing in the way that we envision them. And he says, what maybe some of you have thought about doing in your dorm room, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war Yet ye have not because ye ask not. You know, the fact of the matter is, as many of us, we want what we want. We want what we want. Sometimes we want what other people have. And what can often happen is when we want something that other per- somebody else has or somebody else is in the, get- in the way of us getting, we can often mow those people down in the process, sometimes through our words, sometimes through our actions, sometimes through a look, sometimes through the silent treatment, ignoring, maybe even saying things to other people to try to somehow subtly get what we want. But I want to uh, remind us the root problem is not the other person. The root problem is the lusts that war in our members. Really, the way we ought to handle those things is, uh, is uh, uh, suggested at the end of verse 2, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. You know, often we view the strong desires of life as things that we just need to figure out and get. And while maybe in a spiritual way, when it comes to ministries, positions, and so on, we know we shouldn't manipulate to get those things for ourselves. When it comes to marriage, that's not something that we just kind of need to uh, make happen in the flesh. There are other aspects to our lives where instead of going to the Lord about it, we push, we prod, we twist, we jeer, in order to get our way. If we would have gone to God, however, often God does want to give the desires of our hearts. Many of the strong desires that are inside of us are not wrong. But the problem is this. We're not supposed to make those things happen. We're supposed to look to God. Have you ever prayed about your friend in the dorm with the chewing fingernail problem? (laughs) Have you ever prayed about the perception issue maybe that you feel you have? Have you ever prayed um, about these variety of things that you just wish were just so in your relationships? Well, if you don't, maybe that's why you're constantly frustrated and at conflict with one another. Again, this is is all just getting the context for where I'm going here this morning, so just bear with me. But if the shoe fits, wear it. Number three says, ye ask and receive not. Sometimes we ask and we don't get what we're asking for. Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. 
There are some times in our lives where we do come to the Lord, and sometimes we come to the Lord with our strong desires, and you know what you end up figuring out? The strong desires that I have are not the strong desires that God has. And sometimes you come to the Lord and, oh Lord, I just wish you would make that person stop doing that, or Lord, I just wish you would take this situation away from me, or oh Lord, I just pray that such and such would happen, and we come to the Lord with our strong desires, And our strong desires are not submitted to the Lord's will. And because of that, we might ask, and it doesn't happen. Again, our strong desires. Many times we want what we want. We want what others have. Many times we want what God doesn't want for us. But I want you to notice next here, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Again, often we want what we want. We want what other people have. We want what God doesn't want for us. And sometimes we want what the world has to offer. Admit it. There have been times in your life when you thought, man, it'd be so much easier to dress like the world. A whole lot easier shopping, wouldn't it, ladies? Man, it'd be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to put all those restrictions on my phone. Man, it'd be a whole lot easier if I could just kind of live the way that I wanted to live, if I could just pursue, uh, you know, a a, a high-paying job and just kind of pursue my dreams. Man, that'd just be so much easier. And so often, we can want what the world has to offer, whether it be the iPhone 13 that's coming out here this week, whether it be the latest and greatest when it comes to technology, Uh, Whether it be that car, that income, that job, many times I think we can think, man, it'd be so much easier if I could just go find a wife or a husband on my own. Man, it would just be so much easier. And so often, our strong desires lead us to conflict with others, conflict with God, and really just wanting to embrace the path of least resistance which the world seems to offer. You see the problem underlying all of those points? The problem underlying all of those points is right here. Those strong desires. All of us have them. Some of them are good. Some of them are not. What is the solution for this this strong desire issue? Well, I think the solution uh, begins to be unfolded in verse 5 got to recognize you may have some strong desires, but God has some strong desires for you too. Verse number five, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us, what's that next word? Lusteth to envy. You know, you may have your own strong desires, but guess what? The spirit of God has a strong desire too. And you know what his strong desire is? He wants you. And he wants all of you. Spirit of God does not want to share you with the world. The Spirit of God does not want to share 
you with your own desires. He doesn't want you to come to him and say, you know what, I'll take what you want when we go out soul winning on net casters, but the rest of the week I just want what I want. No, the Spirit of God, it says he lusteth to envy. He is jealously desire of having you and your whole heart. And the reason why we often live at conflict with others and the reason why we often live at conflict with God is because our desires are different than God's desires for us. Let me say this. As long as your desires are different than God's desires, you will live at conflict, constant conflict with those around you. As long as your desires are not synonymous with God's desires, you will live at conflict with God. What God wants is God wants for you to surrender to the desires of the Spirit of God for you. Again, I'm beginning to be known as the total surrender, total dependence guy, right? <laughs> the degeneration guy, whatever. And, uh, you know, I could stand up here and I can say total surrender all day long. And unfortunately, what can happen is these terms become so familiar, they can lose their impact. They can become a buzzword, a slogan that ceases to have impact that it originally had the first time you heard it. But I want to bring us back to the drawing board, back to the ABCs just a little bit here this morning. You know, when we look at this passage, it's easy to think, oh man, I'm going from one desire to another and God wants something. What in the world does God want out of me? I'll tell you what God wants. God wants your complete and total surrender to him. We've got some freshmen here in this room. You may be here at BCM because the best you know God's told you to come here. Thank you for saying yes to Jesus. Thank you for saying yes to God. That's very important. But do not think that just saying yes to God to come to BCM is going to solve all your problems. It won't. Because while you're here, guess what? The Spirit of God doesn't just want your college years. The Spirit of God wants your whole life. The Spirit of God doesn't just want you to attend classes and learn stuff. He wants every single nook and cranny of your life. What does God want? He wants total surrender. In fact, we jump down to verse 6. He says, but he giveth more grace. I want you to know regardless of what it is you feel like you're up against, regardless of what sin that seems to plague you, regardless of what situation seems to be far too big for you to, uh, to, to combat, regardless of how large the thing is that God is calling you to do, there is good news. God giveth more grace. You know, some have looked at that and said, more grace, uh, more, uh, more seems to uh, imply comparison, right? Uh, it's bigger grace. Bigger than what? Bigger than anything. You know, as we surrender to the Spirit of God, as we yield to Him, as we were talking about in Netcasters this morning, guess what else happens? God comes with His grace, His power, His strength, His enablement, and God wants to step alongside of you as you yield completely to Him and enable you to do everything that He has called you to do. But it's a little issue in this verse. And really this little issue gets back to those strong desires in our hearts says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. 
but giveth grace to the humble. Somebody thought that was funny. God resisteth the proud. You know what pride is? Pride is the ultimate expression of the strong desires of my heart. Pride is when you or I go it on our own. We do our own thing. We think we know better than God. Pride is when we refuse to deal with sin. Pride is when we live for mixed motives. Pride is when we refuse to get broken. And yet when we get down to the root issue, I do believe the root issue is when our desires are not one for one with God's desires. And that's why this progression of what it means to humble yourself in the sight of God in verse 7 begins. And I'm not going to go through the whole progression. I'm not going to go through all of the commands here. I really just want to focus on the very first one. The very first one is really where I think when it comes to our journey of uh, walking with God, of dealing with our strong desires, this is the core. This is the starting point. Verse number 7 says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. You know, it's so easy to just keep moving along those commands and to skip over that one, isn't it? It's so easy to get enamored with the rest. You know, yes, you need to deal with sin. Yes, you need to purify your hearts. Yes, you need to resist the devil. But never forget that the whole journey of humbling ourselves and experiencing God's grace begins with a simple command to submit, put yourself under God. If I could say it this way, submitting yourself to God is taking your strong desires and it's moving them to let the desires of God eclipse yours in a perfect way where there's no light leaking around it. See, what God wants out of you and what God wants out of me is God wants our total surrender. Again, you've heard the story. Henry Varley, Henry Varley was walking with the young man, Dwight Lyman Moody, a man who'd been in evangelism for a period of time. And this man said to D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do in and through and for a man whose heart is completely surrendered to God. And you know the story. D.L. Moody in his heart said, I will be that man. In the little booklet, if you haven't read it, I strongly suggest you find it and you consume it several times. Why God Used D.L. Moody by R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was recounting one of the reasons why God used this man in a monumental, amazing, world-changing way. And he said it was because he was completely surrendered to God. And in fact, in one of those paragraphs, he makes this statement. He said, Henry Varley may have said that the world has yet to see. But I want you to know at this point in history, the world has seen what God can do in and through and for a man who's completely surrendered to God. They saw it in D.L. Moody. I wonder when your classmates look to you, when they look at you in your life, do they see what God can do in and through and for a man or woman who's completely surrendered to God? Or do they see somebody who asks and has not because they ask amiss? Do they see somebody who's at war with their fellow students? Do they see somebody whose strong desires are different than God's strong desires? Because I want you to know the fact of the matter is this, if you will surrender completely and totally to God, if you will let God shave away those desires that are not His, and if you'll let God replace them for the desires that are His, I will tell you, it will start your journey off right, and that journey will lead you to being used by God in ways that you could never imagine. My family and I, on the trip out to Iowa and back, we were listening to the audible version of uh, the Ed Nelson biography. And um, boy, I tell you what, listen to it now, but then listen to it after you've been out in the ministry for 10 years. This man was a man who was just absolutely committed to doing the work. 
This man was a man who when God told him things that just didn't make sense even to his peers, even to his leaders, he obeyed God anyway. This man was a man who believed that God had called him to preach. He believed that if God called him to preach, that meant he should preach, not just sit around waiting for opportunities. This man was a man who didn't do what was expected of him. This man was a man who pursued the impossible, who went out and led souls to Jesus Christ. This man was a man who started churches, who was willing to be redirected by God when it didn't seem to make sense. And there's a reason why we know the name Ed Nelson today, because Ed Nelson was a man who was totally surrendered to God. But some of you, if you continue on your current course, you'll be a powerless, pathetic nobody one day because you're a powerless, pathetic nobody now. But he who surrenders unconditionally to God, God is going to use that person's life. You may not have a biography written about you. You may never have your story written on Audible, but your story will be written in heaven, and it'll be powerful. Now, that being said, I want to take a step back here for a second, because often when we look at this matter of surrender, often I think we can think in ambiguous terms. So what I want to do is here, I want to briefly, for a few minutes, I want to drill into what it means to be surrendered to God. I want to give you three, three points here on what it means to be surrendered to God. Because surrender, like I said, can often be pretty ambiguous, right? It seems so nebulous, a little bit intimidating. Am I surrendered to God or not? I don't know. I want to clarify a bit. Because we talk so much about surrender around here, often it's easy to overlook some simple aspects of what it means to live in surrender to God. Number one, to be surrendered to God is to be surrendered to God's words. It's to be surrendered to God's words. Earlier in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. John 14, 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21 in that same chapter says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them... He it is that loveth me. Verse 23, two verses later says, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Young people, I want you to know, if you're going to be surrendered to God, you first and foremost need to be surrendered to what he said. This book needs to be your authority. I know this seems super simple, and there's a certain sense in which, why would you even cover this in Bible college? And yet it's so easy for us to get enamored with some of the later points that I'm going to give here that we forget, if God said it, that ought to settle it. How often do we explain away what the Word of God says because it's culturally misunderstood? How often do we explain away what the Word of God said because it's inconvenient? How often do we disobey what the Word of God says because perhaps other people around us aren't doing it? Listen, in an environment like this where there is largely a heart to obey the Word of God, you can thrive. But if your thriving is based on what your peers are doing and not on what this book says, you know what's going to happen when you leave this place? You'll dip the flag. You'll dip the flag and you'll end up lowering yourself and the way you live and the way you act to the least common denominator. 
Listen, if your reference point is horizontal here in this place, your reference point will be horizontal when you're out in ministry somewhere else. Our reference point should not be across the room or across the hallway. Our reference point should not be our room leader or our peers. Our reference point needs to be first and foremost what God says in this book. Listen, I know we got a handbook, and I know that handbook, our desire is for it to reflect as best as possible what the Word of God teaches. Granted, there are some things that are policy-focused. Yes, there are some things that are largely principial in what they say. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever sat down with a handbook and asked yourself the question, is this biblical like the Bereans did? Have you ever sat down with the rules that are around you and actually had the conversation with God or is there somewhere in the Bible that ought to give me my dress standards? Or do you just look to what people around you do to determine how you live and how you dress? Did you know the Word of God can tell us how to dress? We ought to all dress in robes. I'm just kidding. No, but did you know that the Bible actually tells us what nakedness is? Did you know that? Do you know that? The Bible tells us that nakedness is the thigh. Right? I don't have the reference for that. You can look that up on your own. There are a couple of different instances in the Old Testament where it makes it clear nakedness is the thigh. In fact, in one instance, the priest, um, they told the priest that he had to wear linen breeches. Okay, great. He had a robe, right? But under his robe, he had to wear linen breeches. You know why? Because as he stepped up those stairs and there were folks kind of down below him, it was very important for him to cover up his nakedness. So in his circumstance, a robe wasn't good enough because he wanted to obey what God said and cover his nakedness. He was going to take extra precaution to cover his nakedness. You know what that means? That means that, okay, the biblical conviction, the biblical thing we must obey is our thighs ought not to be exposed. You say, preacher, you're getting pretty granular here. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Girls, you know, some of you girls might be thinking, well, then that means that as long as I wear knee-length skirts, I'm obeying the word of God. Maybe. If you always stand like this. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm not a girl. I don't know how girls stand, but I think you put your legs to get your feet together at the bottom. I don't know. But you know what? The moment you do about just about anything else, you know, there's a reason why many times choirs have the, the choir rails, right, or the little wall in front of the choir. You know, there are some churches where it is absolutely essential for them to put a little curtain underneath the piano. You know why? Because folks aren't careful about covering up their nakedness. I'm not preaching against a curtain under the piano. I'm just saying this. Listen, some, I, I'm trying to be careful in how I say this, but you know, ladies, you just wear a knee-length skirt and sit down. Guess what? You're no longer obeying the word of God, depending on how you sit. And for the most part, most of the time when you sit. You see, just like that priest wanted to obey God. Guess what? Those priests, by wearing those linen breeches, were surrendering to God. Because they knew that God said, don't uncover your nakedness. And so they did everything they could to obey what God said. What God said. You know another one thing that God said? God said, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. 
Now, that's not saying that if you accidentally, you know, are walking down the hallway and you trip and you bump up a girl, again, against a girl's shoulder or something, you have to get right with God, okay? The idea of the word touch is touch to kindle, right? It's a romantic touch. And, you know, I want to say here in this, in, this, uh, in this chapel, you know, you can look horizontally and you look around and I would say just about everybody would say, well, yeah, I'm not going to touch my, my fiancé or my, my person I'm courting until the day of our marriage, right? Because the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. But did you know when, if your reference point is other people around you the moment you find yourself outside of this place, did you know that that's not what most fundamental Christians, that's not their standard? They say, well, you know, a little bit of hand-holding isn't that big of a deal. They say, well, you know, I mean, if you're engaged, you're committed, so maybe you can hold hands, you know, maybe a little bit more, a little bit of body contact. You see that in all kinds of engagement photos, don't you? Don't you? Listen, if your reference point is horizontal and not this book, your total surrender will not result. It wouldn't be total surrender. Because, listen, total surrender takes what God says seriously. Again, I could give other applications. I won't. I'll let you deal with them yourself, and I'll let the Spirit of God deal with you in the specifics. But listen, um, if you have a heart to serve and follow God, you're going to have a heart to look at what he says. I'm not talking law living. I'm not talking about self-dependence. I'm not talking about living a life under just the constant restraint of rules. But I am saying this, if you love Jesus, you're going to care what he says. And if you're surrendered to the Spirit of God, you are going to take close, uh, you're going to closely inspect what he inspired because you want to obey. Listen, our strong desires may be different than what's in this book, right? You may really, really want to hold the hand of your fiancé. You may really, really want to wear a certain length of skirt. You may really, really want to do X, Y, or Z. And listen, my purpose is not to stand up here and preach dress standards. My purpose here is not to stand up and to talk about what you should or shouldn't do when you're recording or engaged. My purpose is to stand up here and say, do you want to be surrendered to God or not? If you do, you need to take close attention to what he says. His words. Surrender. Uh, is to be surrendered to God's words. Uh, you need to obey what God says and not let cultural relativism control how you live, how you act, and how you interact with the world. This is yielding to what God has said that he wants. Second point, okay, we drill into this some, right? So what does it mean to be submitted, therefore, to God? You need to be surrendered to what he says. Secondly, you need to be surrendered to God's will. Not just surrendered to God's words, but surrender to God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. You say, preacher, isn't the will of God revealed in the Bible? Absolutely it is. But did you know that the Bible doesn't tell you who you're supposed to marry? 
Did you know the Bible doesn't tell you what church you're supposed to take one day? Did you know that the Bible does not tell you um, where you're supposed to get a job? It does not tell you which door you're supposed to knock on. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, yes, please. I'm not diminishing the word of God whatsoever. If God says that that ought to settle it, you need to obey it. But what I'm saying is that there is a surrender, not just to what God says, but to what God wants, his will as he leads us in life and ministry. You look throughout the, uh, the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, and what you find is you find preachers who were available to the Spirit of God. You find the evangelist Philip in Acts chapter 8. Philip was a man who had a great revival meeting going, then God said, go down here. Guess what? There was no chapter and verse that told him to leave his great revival evangelistic crusade and to go into the middle of the desert. There was no verse of Scripture that told him to do that. I mean, there is now, but there wasn't then. You know what it was? It was the subjective leadership of the Holy Spirit. And because he was completely surrendered to doing whatever God wanted, he went. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved. And one of the things that I personally find fascinating about Philip, the only man in the Bible that has clearly attributed the title evangelist, is he was a man that was not stuck in anyone's mold for how he ministered. Yes, he did a big evangelistic crusade in Samaria. Then he went and individually led somebody to Christ. And then it said he traveled from city to city up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea until eventually he had a house and a bunch of daughters. And presumably he either based out of there or maybe he was planning there for an extended period of time and though he was called an evangelist you know what ties all the pieces together in his life and ministry it was not a truck and trailer and it was an itinerant ministry it was following the Holy Spirit whenever and wherever he called him to go See, total surrender, yes, is to be surrendered to what it says in this book, but it's also to be willing to be directed and at times redirected by the Spirit of God. Paul, in his ministry, in his second missionary journey, he had done a certain thing in his first missionary journey, and I assume he probably imagined, well, that's what we'll do again. And yet, as he was going, looking for a new place to go in Asia Minor, he tried to go to this city, and the Spirit of God said, "Mm mm-mm, nope. And he said, all right, we'll go over here. And the Spirit of God said, uh-uh. Then he tried to go over here, and the Spirit of God said, absolutely not. And that had to have been frustrating. I don't know specifically how the Spirit said no. I don't know if just things weren't happening. I don't know if he just didn't have peace. I don't know if he had visions in the middle of the night. I don't know what happened, but the point is this. He knew God said no. And so he didn't. You know, there are a whole bunch of preachers and pastors out there that do not allow for the subjective leadership of the Holy Spirit. They call it somehow soft cessationism or something like that. And I want you to know, I don't care how you interpret 1 Corinthians 13, but I do know this, when you look at the New Testament, and when you just look at how God operates with his people, God tells us, that we ought to walk after the Spirit. God tells us we ought to walk in the Spirit. He says we ought to be led of the Spirit. And God, listen, if all you have are principles to go by, you might as well be a Catholic. Listen, I serve a living Savior. And He lives inside of me. 
And he knows what kind of ministry you ought to be a part of. He knows where you ought to serve. He knows who you ought to marry. And it's not just a matter of figuring out the principles that hopefully will eventually lead you to do what he, who perhaps possibly God would want you to do. Literally, there are some folks that would say, stop calling me Caleb Reed. I have been places that literally say, don't bother seeking God for the mission field. Just volunteer to go. I understand what they're trying to say. I do. And there's a certain sense in which I believe every believer ought to be involved in missions in some way, shape, or form. But listen, to say, don't bother praying about it, don't bother seeking God about it, just go, is to leave out a very, very important part of being a son of God, according to Romans chapter 8. You know, um, Ed Nelson, again, I was listening to his biography, and he and his wife were planning on going to Japan, right? They learned Japanese, and they were planning on going, and in fact, he was, God had used his life so much, he didn't even have to go the first time around out on deputation, and boom, he had a support just like that. And then Bright's disease hit, knocked him for a loop, the mission board canceled, his, uh, canceled him going, and he started going into evangelism. And you know what? The Bright's disease cleared up. And he was able to serve God in evangelism. And then the mission board caught, uh, caught wind of that, and they said, hey, you're doing better now. Why don't we commission you again? And so he raised support again, and then he's planning to go. As soon as he starts planning to go, Bright's disease hit him again. And he could hardly get out of bed. He could hardly do anything. And though, then the mission board said, yeah, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't go. They canceled him a second time. I think this happened three times, at least three times. And he and his wife, as they were praying, they thought, you know what? Maybe God doesn't want us to go to Japan. You know, if you were just to be a principal, word-only kind of a person, you would say, well, we just need to go anyway. And he would have missed the fact that the Spirit of God was trying to tell him something. Listen, surrender is to be surrendered to his will. Are you willing for God to redirect your plans? When I was a senior in Bible college, I was planning on being a missionary evangelist to Southeast Asia. I thought that was a good idea. There are some preachers I greatly respected that did that. I knew, I knew God had called me to be an evangelist. And I thought, here's a great opportunity. I'm going to do it. And honestly, I don't, I do not regret that at all. However, there came a point in time, my senior year, when God started saying, I got something else for you. He began to speak through some of my peers. He began to speak through some ministry opportunities, through some things that certain people said. And I remember, I remember thinking, wait a minute, what in the world is going on? God, this is different than what I've told everybody out on Ensemble. This is different than what everybody else thinks I'm going to do. But God, I want your will more than I want to save face in front of people. I remember getting down on my face on the deck Outside of the 107th Street dorm, I think it was dorm G at the time. You have no idea what in the world I'm talking about. And I remember saying, God, are you telling me to do something different? I was like, the Lord of my heart was saying, yes, finally. Again, I didn't just want to change on a whim. I wanted to make sure I knew it was God. I prayed some things, asked God some specific things that I wanted to see him answer in. And in every single thing, he did what I asked in direct confirmation that I wasn't supposed to be a missionary to evangelist to Southeast Asia. I was supposed to be an evangelist to the next generation of harvest laborers, teenagers. And I know I'm in the will of God today. I'm doing what I'm doing, not because my pastor thought it would be a good idea, though he did. I'm here doing what I'm doing, not because my daddy thought it'd be a good idea, though he does. I'm here not because my wife thought it'd be good, though she does. 
I'm here because I'm doing what I'm doing because God told me to do it. And surrender not only surrenders to God's words, it surrenders to God's will. One more thought and I'll be done here. Not only do you need to be, not only is surrender, total surrender involves surrender to God's words and to God's will. It also involves surrender to God's wants. Or you could write down to God's wishes. What in the world are you talking about? I might be splitting hairs a little bit here, but just bear with me here for a second. There's a difference between doing what somebody says they want or what they know, what you, or what you know they want and what they really want. Listen, some of you men will understand this. There will come a day when your wife will ask you for things. Dear, could you please take out the trash or could you please fix the sink or whatever it might be? Okay, that, that's important to listen. When she speaks, I'm going to give you a little foretaste here, pre-marriage in the family, premarital counseling here. When you're married one day and your wife asks you to do something, you should probably listen up, okay? But there's a difference between what she says she wants and what she wants because sometimes the wife doesn't want to say it. Sometimes you know that she doesn't want you to do that. You know that she actually would really like for you to do that. You know, maybe she'll drop subtle hints. Maybe she, wives just have a way of making their will known without saying it. I don't know how they do it, but they're really good at that. Some of you girls are practicing, okay, with your dorm roommates and everything. But there's a difference between when somebody says it and somebody makes it clear that they want it without saying it and a husband who just knows what would thrill the heart of his wife. You see the difference? Again, a woman can make her will clear without saying words, but there's a difference between somebody who, who reads the signals and somebody who just so knows the heart of his wife and what would, um, what would uh, absolutely blow her away and does it. Here's an example of this. Uh, David, at one point in his, in his life, was, uh, was on the run. He was in the cave of Adullam. And while he was there in that cave, he just made this passing statement. Oh, it'd be so great if I had some water from the well at Bethlehem. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Was that a command? No. Was he even intending for anybody to go and get him some water from that? No, not really. He was just expressing, man, that'd be nice. And you know what his men did? David's wish was their command. They gathered together a group of special forces. <laughs> they busted into the city of Bethlehem, special forces style. They probably had, you know, all of the, you know, the, the weeds over top of them and everything. I don't know. A little bit of holy imagination there. But they busted in, probably knocked some Philistine heads together, you know, clunk like coconuts. And they went in and they got some of that water and they came back to David and said, David, your majesty. I'm sure David was thinking, I didn't ask you to do that. What are you doing? But you know what? David was pleased. Now, granted, he didn't drink the water. He poured it out as an offering to God, which is the greatest thing he could have ever done with it. But just get this. Sometimes God wants us to be so in tune with his heart. You know, God doesn't want to just drive us around like a stubborn donkey all the time. You know? Go there! Do this! Whoa! Uh, you? <clears throat> Sorry for the reference there. God wants us to be so in tune with him that just a simple shift in position 
so to speak, can reroute our life. He wants us to be so sensitive to him that just a brightening of the eye, so to speak, of, of God's eyes can be uh, observable to us. And we think, oh, let's do it. I'm convinced we got far too many passive VCM students who wait for God to kick them out of the dorm and out of their studies to go out and win somebody to Jesus Christ. You know, the heart of God is for the entire world, and we shouldn't wait for God to kick us off campus to go win somebody to Jesus Christ. It ought to be ingrained in our hearts, in our souls, not waiting for God to just say, go do something, you lazy bum! but to where God is moving and leading us because we're already moving because we've sensed the heart of our Savior. What does it mean to be surrendered to God? Well, you know what God wants. God wants for your desires, your strong desires, to be perfectly in tune with his desires, not only in what he said in this book, but what he tells you in your heart and even the very things that maybe he doesn't speak up and talk about, but you know he wants let me ask you a question. Are you surrendered to God like that? Are you willing to do what he wants you to do? Maybe you've slipped in your surrender some. Maybe there have been areas of just plain disobedience to the word of God that you need to get right and you need to realign your heart and your strong desires with God's. Maybe there have been some areas where God has been speaking to you in your heart and you've been saying no. That's why there's so much conflict in your life. Surrender to God. Maybe you've been passive in your service for him, not catching his heart and, and working for his cause. Maybe you, you have to get kicked out of your comfort zone in order to go instead of the default being go. Whatever God is working in your heart about, can we surrender ourselves to Jesus anew and afresh here this morning?